We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we come into this room this morning uh, from so many different places and so many different backgrounds. Some of us come this morning with a deep sense of your presence in our lives, a deep sense of your nearness. Uh, As we sing these songs, our hearts feel full. And for others of us, the words of these songs just, there's a lot of dissonance. And they, they kind of bounce off of our hearts. And you seem really far away. And we're wondering what it would look like for you to actually seem close. We're asking, is that possible? Some of us God, some of us are in this room and we are sitting in a Christian worship service for the very first time and we cannot believe that we're here. God, we come from so many places and backgrounds, but in another sense, we all come from the same place and that is we are more in need of your grace than we know. And we thank you that you are a God who loves to speak, a God who sees all of our needs and loves to provide and we pray that you would come And do that now, even as we open your word. We ask that you would speak. Help me to get out of the way so that we might see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, before we begin this morning, um, I want to thank our staff. And uh, our staff is small but mighty. They, they work very hard. It's not a big staff. It's actually five people, including me. Uh, it's Pastor Dave Lee, who's on vacation this week with his family, so pray for the Lees. Uh, it's Amanda Collison, who's our Res Kids director. It's Amelia Kassar, who's our communications coordinator. And then it's Marquita Anthony, who's our, the newest member of our staff and our worship director. And uh, I owe them a huge thanks because for the first time, really in the, in the four and a half year history of our church, I actually took a break this summer. And it was amazing. Uh, I have not preached in six weeks. And that has never happened before in the last four and a half years. I think the longest I've gone is two to three weeks. And this year I actually had six weeks of, of, not, of not doing this every week. And our family got to go back for two weeks in late June and early July to see a lot of our extended family, and I didn't think about the church at all. And I love you guys, but it was amazing. I'm glad to be back. Just I want to say that. But it was, it was incredible. 
I did not think about the church at all. And then when I came back, I actually had a whole week dedicated to just study and prayer. And I've never had that. A whole week to plan sermons out for the next year um, and to really dream about the future of our church. And it was such a gift to me. And the only reason that it was possible is because we've got a staff who is here really holding things down and does an amazing job. So I want to say thank you to them. And I want you to hear me say that I have never been more excited about what God is doing in this church. It is going to be a really exciting season here this fall. A lot more to say about that in the coming weeks as we're going to do a vision series. But let's go ahead and jump into this. We're actually starting a new series this morning uh, in the spiritual disciplines. And some of you hear that word discipline and you think, this doesn't sound like a very fun series. <laughs> this, this sounds like work. Well, here's the truth. Spiritual disciplines are work. <laughs> they are work. They require effort and time and intentionality. But they are the kind of work that opens the floodgates of God's presence and power and love in your life. And if you have ever wanted more of those things in your life, I have good news for you this morning. You can have them. And here's some even better news. God wants you to have them. He wants to saturate your life with his love and his power and his presence. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are for. See, if you've ever felt spiritually stale, if you've ever felt like your relationship with God was not really progressing, if you've ever felt like you're not really growing, if you've ever wondered, how can I grow spiritually? God's answer to you is the spiritual disciplines. So let me give you a working definition of the spiritual disciplines this morning. Spiritual disciplines are God-given practices Okay, you need to know these are not things that I'm making up. These are God-given practices that lead us into a deeper experience of God's love for us. And as a result, they cultivate in us a deeper love for God and others. So let me say that again. That's kind of long. Probably could have been shorter, but it is what it is. All right. Spiritual disciplines are God-given practices that lead us into a deeper experience of God's love for us and as a result they cultivate in us a deeper love for God and others and for the next seven weeks we're going to be looking at seven of these practices and there's some important things to say about spiritual disciplines before we we jump into the text today I want you to hear me say a couple things about this series and the first is this I want to normalize the struggle Would you raise your hand this morning if you've ever thought, I should pray more than I do? Would Keep your hands raised if you've ever thought, I should read my Bible more than I do. Okay, all the truth tellers, please put your hands down now. All right. (laughs) Hey, listen, the struggle is real. We all struggle, pastors included. One of the reasons I chose this series is because I want and need to grow in this area of my walk with God. So that brings me to the second thing I want to say about spiritual disciplines, and that's this. Christians tend to have a lot of guilt when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. Some of you thought, you saw this and you thought, well, I guess I'm just going to feel guilty for the rest of this series. 
Uh, listen, what you need to know is that there is no spiritual discipline that can make God love you. It's too late for that. God already loves you. He loves you even though you don't pray as much as you should. He loves you even though you don't read your Bible as much as you want to. Spiritual disciplines are not the way that we earn God's love. They are the practices that position us to experience God's love and to live out of that love. And so if you're feeling guilty, I I want you to see this series as God's invitation to you. And it is not God's invitation to increase guilt in your life. It is God's invitation to increase your experience of his loving presence in your life. That's what this series is about. Now, here's the last thing I want to say about the series. Is that spiritual disciplines are not simply private activities between you and God. That's how we tend to think of them. We think, oh yeah, this is just about the stuff that's like just about me and God. There's a reason that the subtitle of this series is Cultivating a Love for God and Others. Because what we're going to see is that many of these spiritual disciplines, disciplines like generosity, I'm not going to tell you which week that is, by the way, because you won't come. <laughs> disciplines, we're going to talk about money, but you don't know when. Uh, Disciplines like generosity, disciplines like serving, that these involve the good of others. Spiritual disciplines are not just about you growing in love for God. They're about you growing in love for others as well. So with all that said, let's get to today's spiritual discipline, which is the Sabbath. And it might seem strange to you that we would start a series on the spiritual disciplines with the Sabbath. You know, maybe you've never even thought of the Sabbath as a spiritual discipline. Well, listen to this. Not only is it a spiritual discipline, it is actually the very first spiritual discipline that shows up in the entire Bible. Do you know who the first one is to do it? Our text actually tells us in verse 11. It says that for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, But he rested on the seventh day. God is the first person in the entire Bible to practice the discipline of Sabbath. And he did all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. So, okay class, if this was a discipline that God instituted into his life, is it not one that we must need to institute in ours as well? This is so important. So important. So let's talk about the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What is it? Uh, Well, let's start with what it's not, okay? The Sabbath is not simply a day to take a big, long nap. Naps are good. God loves naps. But that is not the only purpose of the Sabbath. It is not just a day to veg out. It's not just a day to be lazy. It's not simply a day to knock off everything on your to-do list that need to get done, like errands and chores and projects. All of these things are important. All of these things matter to God, but none of them are what the Sabbath is about. So what is the Sabbath? Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. This is God talking to Moses. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, that's kind of a churchy word, holy. 
But here's what that word means. It simply means distinct. It means set apart. God is saying, I want one day out of seven to look different than the other six. And you say, well, how so? Well, look at the rest of the verse. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's very important. It is not a day that is dedicated to vegging out or catching up or sleep or errands, but it is a day that is dedicated to the Lord. Let me put it to you this way. Sabbath is a literal 24-hour period. It's not a metaphorical period, but it is a literal 24-hour period where we intentionally cease from our paid and our unpaid work. That's very important. From our paid and our unpaid work to create space for God to transform us by his grace. See, spiritual disciplines, I said this earlier, they're work. The work. But get this, the very first work that God calls you to do is nothing. The very first work that he calls you to do is rest. I mean, God, think about this. God creates Adam and Eve on the sixth day. And he says to them, tomorrow is your first full day, and here's what I want you to do. Rest. Imagine if you got a new job and your boss is like, tomorrow for your first day, I don't want you to come in. You'd be like, this, this person is amazing. This is the best job ever. And you see, this should amaze us that God does this, does this, but the reality is that most of us feel like the Sabbath is an inconvenience. Because we feel like a whole day, I mean, a, seriously, a whole day. I cannot afford a whole day. I have too much to do. Let, let me remind you that God was the first one to take a day off. And God runs the universe. And I'm sure that you have a lot of things on your list for this week, but I'm pretty sure that running the universe is not one of those things. But it was for God. And yet he rested. And the Christian writer Marjorie Thompson says this. She says, honoring the Sabbath means letting go of my treasured illusions of my indispensability. That's convicting. Part of the reason we really struggle to rest is because we have an inflated view of our own importance to the universe. But friends, God is at the center of the universe. And God is the one running the universe. And maybe you're wondering, okay, but wait a minute. This is like Old Testament stuff. You know, does this, does this command to take a Sabbath, does that even still apply? Is that even still a thing? I mean, this is, this is the Old Testament law. Didn't Jesus come to fulfill the law? Aren't we free from the law? We're not, we're not under the law anymore. Is this something we even have to obey anymore? But I want you to notice in verse 11 again that it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Now all of that is happening before sin enters the world. See, Sabbath existed in paradise. Sabbath is something that God built not just into his law, but into the very fabric of creation. 
That, that means that there is a God-given rhythm to life. We, we are built to work. Work is a good thing. We are built to work six days, and we are built to rest. And this is how God designed us to live. And when you live according to God's design, guess what happens? There's joy, and there's delight, and there's fullness. But when you move against God's design, there is disappointment and frustration and decay. And that's actually a really important thing to consider because what that means is that keeping this, it's not so much that we keep the Sabbath as it is that the Sabbath keeps us. The Sabbath is not, it's not simply a command from God, it is a gift from God and is given by God to us for our good. And when you build this spiritual practice into your life, what you discover is is that it has incredible power for your life. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about that this morning. I want to talk about four ways that this spiritual discipline can change your life. Here's the first. The Sabbath keeps us from living as exhausted people in an exhausting world. It keeps us from living as exhausted people in an exhausting world. When God gave this command to the Israelites... He had just rescued them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They were slaves. Slaves do not get a day off. You do not get to rest when you're a slave. That means 400 years without a day off. And you say, well, that sounds exhausting. But the reality is is that we're actually not that different culturally. We have created a culture where it is now possible to work anywhere. And I know there's been a lot of advantages to this whole remote hybrid, you know, work thing, but there's a lot of negatives too. Namely, the ability to work anywhere now means that we work everywhere and we work all the time. And this is why so many of us are so exhausted. We never stop. I mean, we live in a world where there's always more to do. There's always another email to send. There's always another meeting to schedule. There's always another project to finish. And this is not just true professionally, but it is true personally. There is always another grocery run to make. Another load of laundry to do. Can I get an amen there? Another bill to pay. Another activity to schedule. We live in an exhausting world. You know, I want you to notice this week how many times, how often you ask someone how they're doing and they say, I am so tired. And then I want you to notice how many times you say that this week when people ask you how you're doing. Because what we do is we work, 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 and we wear ourselves out, and then we say, I need a vacation. I need a vacation. You know, we think a vacation will fix it. But then we go on vacation, and guess what? We are pretty tired very quickly after that first vacation. And then you try to vacation with kids, which that's not a vacation, okay? That's called a family trip. We went on a family trip in June and July. That's what we did. We went on a family trip. You see, but we tend to think, if I just had, if I just had a vacation, I wouldn't be so exhausted. No, we don't need a vacation. We need a Sabbath. We need a day to slow down and to stop. 
and to encounter God and to experience his presence in our lives. And this is why corporate worship, what we're doing right now, is such an important part of the Sabbath. When we gather in this room on Sunday mornings, God is uniquely present. When we come together to sing to him and to pray to him and to hear from him through his word and to come to this table together, friends, in a way that I cannot explain to you, in a way that is so mysterious, God is uniquely here. And he wants you to be here every week so that he can meet with you. And so that you can experience him. He wants to refresh you and to fill you with his presence. And I want to ask you a question this morning. If you actually believe that, how much more of a priority would this be? If you really believe that, you'd probably never miss a Sunday. You see, this is not, worship is not simply homework. It's not busy work. It's not just a box to check. No, this is God's gracious invitation to keep us from living as exhausted people in an exhausting world. Here's the second way Sabbath can change your life. The Sabbath grows our trust in God's care. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I asked you to raise your hand, how many people are struggling to trust God in this room, I think every, room would sh- every hand would shoot up. And you see, in, in Exodus chapter 20, this is what's so interesting about this passage. Exodus 20 that we read from this morning, this is not the first time that God talks to the Israelites about the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 16, when they were wandering in the wilderness after being rescued, they began to grumble against God. They said, God, life was better in Egypt. We had all the food that we could ever want there. I mean, life was hard and we worked all the time, but there was plenty to eat. And here we are starving in the desert. It's the first Example in history of someone who is hangry was the Israelites. (laughs) And so what does God do? He began to provide bread from heaven for them. It's called manna. But he only provided enough for each day. And so if they tried to, you know, stockpile it, hey, let's like build up a pantry of manna, it would rot by the next morning. God only gave them enough for each day. And in Exodus 16, God says this to Moses. He says, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Six days you shall gather it, meaning the bread. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now, what is going on here? God sends bread every day except one. Every day except the Sabbath. And he says, whatever bread that I send on day six, it's going to be enough for day seven. What God is doing here is he's saying, the Sabbath is a day where you learn how to trust me. It's a day that was true for the Israelites and it's true for us as well. It is a day where we stop. We stop our work so that we might learn to trust God's care and God's provision and God's sovereignty and God's goodness over our lives. You know, as a pastor, my Sabbath is Mondays because this is work for me and I love what I do, but it's work. And so Mondays are my day off and I protect these 
like they are sacred. If you try to get a hold of me on Monday, you're not going to hear from me on Monday. You hear from me on Tuesday, hopefully, but not Monday. I protect Mondays. But inevitably, every single Monday, every single Monday, at some point during the day, I start thinking about the church. I think, oh, you know, I, I didn't respond to that person. Or I need to follow up on this. Or I need to schedule that meeting. And, and there's a line that I, 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 sometimes I say this out loud, but I, I say it every Monday in my head. I say, when that starts to happen, I say, this is not my church. This is not my church. God, this is your church. And I have to work really hard to remind myself that God is the one who is taking care of this church and who is taking care of me. And you see, so often the reason that we struggle to rest is because we don't believe that. We think, if I stop working, who will take care of me? And who's going to take care of the things that I care about and the things that I need? The reason that we struggle to rest is not logistical. It's not because we don't have enough time. It's because we, we actually don't have enough trust in God that he's taking care of us. And so God says, I'm going to give you this whole day. I'm going to give you this whole day where I want you to live in this reality. And I want you to rehearse to yourself that I am a God who sees you. And I see everything that you need. And I know everything that you need. And I will take care of you. I will take care of you. Sabbath is the way that we grow in trusting God. Have you ever wished... People say to me all the time, you know, I could never have faith like that. But you see, God has not left us passive in this whole faith thing. God says, if you want to grow? You want to grow in trusting me? Rest. Practice Sabbath. Build this into your life. Here's the third way that Sabbath can change our lives. Sabbath reminds us that people are more important than productivity. It reminds us that people are more important than productivity. One of the idols of our culture is being productive. There was an article uh, in the New York Times several years ago. It was called The Busy Trap. And the writer says this. He says, if you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It has become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm crazy busy. It is, it is pretty obviously a boast that is disguised as a complaint. And the stock response is a kind of congratulation. We say, that's a good problem to have, or it's better than the opposite. We love being busy. And we prize productivity. And friends, on the one hand, there is, the Bible talks a lot about the dangers of being idle, being idle is not a good thing. But on the other hand, it talks about the dangers of being infatuated with busyness. And the danger is this. Here is the danger. If you are a person who likes to get things done, the danger is this, is that you elevate productivity over people. I want you to notice something in verse 10 of this passage. Verse 10 is interesting. God says, on it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work, Neither you nor your son or daughter, 
nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I mean, what is this? Even the animals get a break. Even the animals get to rest. What is going on here? Here's what's going on. In the Sabbath, you honored God by keeping a law that benefited others. It it benefited others who were around you, your, your family and your friends, and it benefited those who were socially under you, the poor and the social outsiders. You see, here's the principle. Sabbath was a day where you turned your attention from being productive You turned it to people. You turned it from productivity to people. And you know what's really interesting? When you come to the New Testament, we see this in Jesus' life as well. Something really struck me this week. I've never seen it before. Jesus did three things on the Sabbath. The, the, The Gospels talk a lot about Jesus, what he did on the Sabbath day. And he did three things more than he did anything else. Number one, he was in the temple. That means he went to church. Number two, he spent time with his disciples. And number three, he healed people. See, he was attentive to God and he was attentive to people, both to his friends and to those in need. And here's what that means. It means that Sabbath is not simply a day that is about you and God. It is a day that is about you and God and others. It's not a day to withdraw from people. It's a day to be present with people, with other Christians, or with your roommates, and with your family, and your spouse, and your children. I want to be really careful here, because we got a room full of people, and some of us are extroverts, and some of us are introverts, and some of us feel incredibly rested when we spend time with people, and some of us feel exhausted when we are with people. You know what that means? It means that this is going to look different for all of us. It is going to look different for all of us. But one thing that it will look like for all of us is that it will look like community and fellowship and being with people. And if that sounds daunting to you, I want to encourage you to start small. You know what starting small might mean for you? It might mean that rather than slipping out the back doors during the last song, you stick around for 15 minutes after the service to grab a cup of coffee or a donut, and meet someone new. For others of us, it might look like being very intentional about lunch with people. One of the things I've loved about this church is that there are groups of people who go out to lunch every Sunday. Every Sunday. And if you don't know who those groups are, come find me and I'll point them out to you because I'd love to connect you to them. And they'd love to eat with you. For others of you, it might look like actually opening your home to people. Hospitality. Inviting people into your home on Sundays. But it will involve community and it will involve fellowship and it will involve people and it will involve paying attention to who God puts in your path on the Sabbath. For some of you, that might be your children. You're saying, I've got young kids. How could I ever rest? You, You know what God loves on the Sabbath? Is when you are present with your children. Or it might look like being present with your spouse or a neighbor or an elderly parent or the poor. But it is a day where we resist 
the idol of productivity by intentionally making room for others and enjoying others and being attuned to the needs of others and serving and caring for others because it reminds us that people are always more important than being productive. Here's the last thing. The Sabbath points us to the deeper rest that we need. The deeper rest that we need. There's a famous story from the 1956 Montgomery bus boycotts in Alabama. Uh, These boycotts took place after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to white passengers. And they were led by Dr. King. And for an entire year, the, the, the black community boycotted these buses as a sign of protest and a way to enact change. And one of these protesters was a woman named Mother Pollard. She was 72 years old. And despite her health and her age, she refused, on all of these walks, she refused offers of rides. She walked everywhere she went. And Dr. King once asked her how she was doing, and she said to him, she said, Dr. King, my feet are tired but my soul is at rest. She was not talking about physical rest. She was talking about deep soul rest. And that is the rest that every single person in this room and that has ever lived on this earth needs. See, we are born restless. We are born restless. We spend our entire lives trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to impress others around us, trying to be noticed and appreciated in the eyes of others? Have you ever noticed how one of the first sentences that kids learn to say is, watch me, look at me? You know, we never grow out of that. We carry that into our adult lives, and we carry it into every part of our lives, especially our work. Our work is one of the main ways that we seek recognition and affirmation. Aristotle once said, he said, when people don't feel loved, they seek to be admired. And friends, that is an exhausting way to live. There is no rest. There is no rest when you feel like you are constantly auditioning for love and admiration and approval. And you see, but the wonder of the gospel is that you can finally rest. You can rest from all of your striving and from all of your efforts to make a name for yourself. You can finally rest because you are fully loved. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. It says that Jesus is our Sabbath. You know what that means? It means that he is the only one who can give us this deep soul rest. Because he is the only one who can give us the love that we long for. And his love is a love that says that your value as a human being is not tied to what you produce. That your value is not rooted in what you do or accomplish. And it is a love that you do not have to audition for. And you don't have to earn but you simply have to receive because it is a love that comes to you, not because of any work that you do, but because of Jesus' finished work on the cross.
And because of that work, you now have the full attention of God. His eye is on you. And the gospel says he is pleased with you. And he loves you. And he delights in you. And so you can rest. See, the Sabbath, friends, ultimately, it is not about a practice. It's actually about a person. And it's about a person who can give us the rest that we long for. And he offers that rest to you today. That is the invitation of this table. And if you have never known that rest and you have never known that love, you can know it today. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the invitation of this table. We thank you for the rest that we find in it. A rest that you alone offer to us. A rest that you alone have made a way for us to receive. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to us this morning. Come to you, all who are weary and burdened, and you will give us rest. God, we are exhausted people. We have been pouring ourselves out in all sorts of different ways, and we have been auditioning for love and approval in so many different ways. And yet here you are saying to us that we can find it in you. Would you give us faith to believe that this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.